we have that exploratory period, right? That was great, as you guys were saying, seeing all these strategies coming out, students like trying things. But then my problem was, I was very, I went from one extreme to the next extreme, where it's just like, I didn't really know what to do. Was, when they tried that, then I was like, oh, you use the Pythagorean theorem. And then it's just like, kind of like A squared plus B squared. But I felt that like, I'm kind of missing the conceptual piece. I was just going from... In this Where Are They Now Math Mentoring Moment episode, we bring back Jeremy Sarzana, a high school math teacher at a vocational high school in Boston, Massachusetts. Jeremy shares concerns over how to keep the flow going in his math classes when many of his students are engaging at varying levels. So stick around to hear Jeremy realize how to plan beyond the lesson of the day to ensure he's meeting the needs of all his students. This is another Math Mentoring Moment episode where we chat with a math moment maker just like you who is working through some problems of practice and together we brainstorm ways to overcome them. Here we go. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are from MakeMathMoments.com. This is the only podcast that coaches you through a six-step plan to grow your mathematics program, whether it's in the classroom or at the district level. And we do that by helping you cultivate and foster your mathematics program like a strong, healthy, and balanced tree. The trunk represents leadership in your organization or the classroom pillars in your math class, while the roots of the tree represent mathematics content knowledge and what it means to be mathematically proficient. Like a tree requires soil, water, and sunlight, your mathematics program requires a productive educator mindset and the belief that all students can achieve at all levels. And your professional learning structure is the limbs of the tree, and it represents your professional learning plan. The branches of your tree represent the development of educator pedagogical content knowledge, which includes effective teaching and equity-based teaching practices. And finally, the leaves of the tree. Those leaves represent resources, the tools, and the classroom environment. If you master the six parts of an effective mathematics program, the impact of your math program will reach and grow far and wide. Every week you'll get the insight you need to stop feeling overwhelmed, gain back your confidence, and get back to enjoying the planning and facilitating of your math program for the students or the educators you serve. Let's dig in here. All right, folks, let's jump right into the conversation with Jeremy. Hey there, Jeremy. Thanks again for coming back, chatting with us all about your math escapades. We chatted way back on episode 177, all about kind of making consolidations count and thinking about what are the big ideas in our math classes, being flexible and thinking about, I think, the monitoring and selecting and sequencing pieces of a math class lesson. So fill us in. What's new with you? Take us through the ropes here since the last time we chatted. Yeah, well, this year I was in a new role. The previous year I was co-teaching and I was kind of a special education teacher in the general ed classroom. It was an inclusion setting. But this year, it was actually, I was the only teacher and it was full inclusion. And one of the classes was actually an honors class. It was challenging for me because I feel that like 
didn't feel like I was a seasoned enough teacher to take on that challenge. But it was challenging for me just to um, really just really not hold the students accountable, but just really, really push them. Interesting. I need more experience. I yeah, think. I was going to ask you, and you're kind of digging in there a little bit more. I was curious what specifically you were feeling or why maybe you were feeling that way. And it's sort of, I think, emerging a little bit. You hear honors class and you're probably thinking to yourself, so what else am I going to do or maybe provide for those students? Do you mind taking us a little bit down that rabbit hole? Yeah, I mean, I guess in my defense, it was like, oh, Jeremy, next year you're going to be teaching honors 10th grade. So like, I mean, that was basically it. Well, it was basically, basically all up to me. But fortunately, we were using a very good curriculum. I don't know if you guys know about it, but it's just it's called pre-AP. No, I actually, John, have you come across it? No, no, but I think I can guess the structure of it. Jeremy, fill us in. There's AP classes, but this is for ninth and 10th graders. Right, that's what I figured. But I'll say it's exactly all the stuff that you guys talk about. It's very student-centered. It always starts off with, there's no pre-teaching. It's just like, okay, try this. For example, one thing we did this year was like working with a distance formula. And it started off with, this is a scenario, there was a field. One person goes around the edge of the perimeter of the field, and then the other one goes straight through. And the first question is like, who's going to get there first, right? And then we talk about that. And then it was on like a cornered grid, so you can count the person who walked around the perimeter. Then you ask the students, what is the distance of the diagonal? Supposedly, this is 10th grade, so they should have had some experience with the Pythagorean theorem. But it's been a while, and a lot of people are trying to count the spaces through all the diagonals that's like <laughs> counting like it's going to take 20 diagonals to get there yeah so you learn so much and i'm envisioning this process right now i have a very clear vision of this particular task i love how you're mentioning it's sort of like you're saying hey give this a shot let's see where you're at and tell me a little bit about and you already scratched the surface a little bit there where you see some students doing certain things. And it tells you a lot about where they are now in their thinking, not necessarily what they're capable of, of course, right? Because like you said, maybe they haven't seen these concepts in a while and maybe they're not making a connection that like, oh, this is a rectangle. When you go across a rectangle, it's a right angle triangle. And we knew this thing some time ago called Pythagorean theorem. So I love that. So I'm guessing that you're getting all kinds of diagnostic data for students to go, oh, okay, these students are making the connection. Maybe some of these students are on to something. And then maybe these students over here either never had a firm grasp on that idea. Maybe they're just missing the connection there, or maybe it's just been too long and maybe we're going to have to spend a little bit more time there. Yeah, exactly. And then some of the honor students, because I have three classes, but some of the honor students, they kind of figured out right away, they're like, oh, the Pythagorean theorem, you know, what's next? But then some had to reintroduce like the Pythagorean theorem. But then the following part of that lesson was you give them a diagonal line, which is actually the same as the previous thing, but you just say, how would you find the distance between these two points? So I think it's like that, but they have to like basically be able to draw in the triangle. And so that's the beginning of like learning the distance formula, you know, so it goes from there. So that's the second step. And it was a great lesson. And I'm just, I thought it was a good curriculum. It sounds like it for sure. We've even used a similar lesson to that in almost the exact same way as a scaffolding kind of unfolding of where the progression goes, like a thin slicing kind of approach to kind of and keep giving you these little tasks and slightly they're modified. And eventually you've just built 
the distance formula without really building the distance formula. We even say like you should even scrap the idea of the distance formula because it's really just Pythagorean theorem the whole time. And why are we even kind of bringing this in as something to memorize? It's not even needed. So Jeremy, I'm wondering, having this lesson here, where did you feel like the trouble kind of comes out of this? Or where do you feel like you're feeling you're not doing what you need to do? And I only say that because you kind of mentioned this as an example of being into this new role in this honors class. And there is a pebble there that you're kind of sh trying to shake loose. Yeah. So basically we have that exploratory period, right? That was great. As you guys are saying, seeing all these strategies coming out, students like trying things, but then my problem was I was very, I went from one extreme to the next extreme where it's just like, I didn't really know what to do. Was, when they tried that, then I was like, oh, you use the Pythagorean theorem. And then it's just like, kind of like A squared plus B squared. But I felt that like, they're kind of missing the conceptual piece. I was just going from exploratory right to theorem. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like that original pebble that we had discussed the first time around is sort of still kind of, and don't get me wrong, it is a massive, massive pebble. This idea of really trying to select, sequence, and then essentially determine what connections do we really want students to sort of hang on to? And it almost puts you as an educator in a decision-making process every single day, right? You're making so many micro decisions, but then there's these macro decisions in each lesson that we need to sort of make. And I'm going to argue that the more macro decisions we can make before the lesson begins, the better. And then the more, I guess, predicting of micro decisions that might have to come or may come, it almost makes them already taken care of as well. So it's almost like if we can reduce the decision-making process for ourselves, especially when you went from a two-teacher classroom. I know that there was maybe more students between the two teachers, but the reality is when you have two adult teacher brains in there, right? You have these moments where you can walk by and say, hey, I saw this. What do you think? And now you're on your own and you're sort of going, okay, I've got all these ideas. I've got all these approaches. And I love how you've given us sort of a topic that we can sort of dig into. We can use that as sort of a nice way for us to keep this as concrete as possible. But you're thinking to yourself, you're going, okay, what is it that I want the students to be able to do at the end? And that to me is that macro decision, right? And I think you already knew, you already said it. It's like you almost feel like maybe you got too excited and got to that end goal maybe too quickly. Almost maybe it's like great idea here, great idea here. I like that. I see that. Awesome. Here's how we're going to do it today. And maybe it's just this in-between piece where you're going, okay, given that I'm going to assume in my mind before you said they were going to count those diagonals, right away I was like, they're going to count diagonals. I know that that's going to happen, at least one student. And if I don't notice it, at least one student's thinking it. So I'm like, okay, that's one thing I've anticipated. Now it's like, all right, how do I take what people are doing? And I call it intuition, but it's really it's experience, right, that they've had. And it's sort of like this makes sense given the scenario. How do I take where they are now, which is a place they feel comfortable? And how do I help make that leap? And how do I make the leap as small as possible? And in a perfect world, it'd be like just a little step 
right? It's like from one little stepping stone to the other without it being sort of this big, massive, I'm picturing Wipeout, if you've ever seen that show. Math class is sort of like Wipeout, where you see them and they're like, okay, they're going to try to make this leap. And then all of a sudden they bounce off the thing and hit their head and then fall into the pit. That's like math class in so many cases. So how do we take that Wipeout course and how do we bring it together so that it's a nice, smooth ride And I'm wondering, before that lesson began, what sort of thinking was going on in your mind? Do you feel you're like, okay, I know certain things are going to happen? Or were you sort of like, I'm just going to see what happens, and then I'm going to direct them towards this end goal? Because, of course, we got this checklist of expectations or standards that we need to do. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, I was like, one thing, that whole lesson from beginning to end was really about them building the distance formula. As you guys say, it's really just the Pythagorean theorem in disguise, but it's like most of my students were not even too, it was almost assumed in the lesson that the students would be like, oh yeah, the Pythagorean theorem. Right. Yeah. In a perfect world, right? Those three kids over there are like, oh yeah, I remember that, right? Yeah. So I guess that's where I just put so much stress on building this distance formula. And then just, I didn't really put as much thought into like, well, what if we have to go over the Pythagorean theorem again? Which by the way, at the beginning of the year, the first thing I, I did in some of the classes, it was called triangles to rectangles. Yeah. 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 And that's just amazing. And I showed it to some of the teachers and they're saying, oh, that's kind of the proof of the Pythagorean theorem. But that's exactly right. What I'm saying, but the way you guys did it, it was more like an exploratory thing. It was a proof, but it was also an exploratory thing. That's the piece right here. In my mind, as you were talking and after I posed the last question, I was sort of thinking to myself, I'm like, so what would I do in that scenario? And Thank goodness we're doing it now, having this discussion, because if it was in the moment, I probably would have did what you did. If I didn't think of it ahead of time, I would have just been like, all right, nice, all of these things. But I wonder if I could craft a question ahead of time, if I know that many students are going to bump into this challenge, if I could craft a mini problem, right? You've given them this big problem, the field and all of those things, and you almost craft another purposeful question because you know that this is coming so that they can bump into 
the, oh, I guess that's not going to work, right? The other thing I want to add in here about, and I think your pebble here is that you've planned this lesson. We got there fast. I'm not sure exactly what to do to keep the challenge going. Is that where your head's at? Because we have some suggestions here for sure, but I just want to be clear on you got to a place where you want to do this exploratory activity when it sounds like you were, you were doing a thin slicing activity and then it became, all right, we use the thing that we're supposed to teach. And then is it now, what do I do? Or was it like, how do I drag that out more? Is that where you're trying to get, get this challenge? Like you're teaching kids who might get there quick. So now it's, how do I keep the challenge going so that kids are continuing to think? Is that where your pebble is? Yeah, and I just know that I just got derailed. I was like, well, they don't know the Pythagorean theorem. I almost like put the distance formula, had to just go to the side and just focus on just doing the Pythagorean theorem again. So basically, like a good activity would have been going into squares to triangles thing or whatever it's called. Yeah, or even on a smaller scale, because what I was thinking is they did this one field and you go, okay, great. And you're like, all right, I'm not sure if it's right or wrong or anything. Let's leave that there. Don't erase anything. Leave it up there. All right. Now I've got another field and now this field is three by four. And then maybe you have them actually do it on the desk with tiles so it's like you pick that super easy Pythagorean triple that you're going, all right, so you did this one field. Amazing. That's super cool. I'm not sure because this student over here thinks it's this. This student thinks it's over here. Whoever did Pythagorean, they're like, it's this. Over here, they're like, well, I counted a bunch of these diagonals and it's actually different. It's close maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. Now you're like, okay, well, here's another field. And you're like, right now and all you have and i said three four five but you don't tell them it's three four five you go here's the field and i got a field for each and every one of you and i even drew the line from corner to corner to show you the path but the problem is is we have no rulers all we have are these square tiles right here and of course it's all scaled perfectly and now you go okay have at her let me know what's going on here and then all of a sudden it's like hmm i wonder if that opportunity now to go like, what is actually happening? Because the reality is, I'm going to guess that many of those students may have never actually seen a proof of the Pythagorean theorem. They may have engaged with it, but they may have engaged with it through procedural fashion, right? Just steps and here's the rule. And as long as it's a right angle triangle, in some of their minds, they might even know the definition, but they don't realize that there's a right angle triangle inside of there that you're working with because it's a rectangle, right? It's like, well, I thought Pythagorean was for right angle triangles, not for rectangles. So I'm wondering when I give a problem and it sounds like you've got an amazing curriculum that poses a good problem to give you. But the part that I'm wondering about is whether they've thought about when that issue, when that struggle arises, what's my next move as the educator? It's almost like they've sort of given that problem for you to figure out, which is hard. It's hard work. And then it's almost like you got to go, okay, so if they're going to run into this issue, what's my next move to now give them another opportunity to kind of grapple with it or to combat the forces of misconception, we'll call it? What's that move going to look like and sound like? And I'm wondering in your mind if that little tiny little tweak in that lesson may have helped you get a little bit closer to making those walking tiles a little closer. Yeah, I think that would have been a great idea to draw like the three, four 
trying is because then it's like they can you could bring up the proof you can prove that look um the area of this side plus this side equals the area of square built off of the hypotenuse i'd be totally happy with them just seeing it conceptually like that but now you got me thinking now that i think what i should have really done was, was explore this whole thing with the pythagorean theorem and just have them learn the pythagorean theorem conceptually and then then go into that lesson again because then they'll be, oh use the pythagorean theorem to figure out diagonal through the field and then you can go on to the next step, which is just, well, here are just two points. How do you find? I love it. And it makes me think as well. Yeah. And don't even have to change. This is one thing I think we spend too much time on as, or at least I know I did. I spent way too much time trying to be creative with making new contexts for everything. But I'm like, if we pick the field, then maybe I just stick with fields and I'm just going to give you a lot of fields today. And then all of a sudden it's like that field that began with just some measurements, right? Horizontal, vertical. And that helped you to get to another field, which is now a three by four field. And then the next field, except now it's on a grid and you go, what about here? And maybe you start it on, have that field starting at the origin and have it come up and over and sort of like, hmm, what's going on here? What are you doing with these numbers on this? You got a point here. What matters here? And then the next field is over here in the grid. Now it's not on the origin. What matters here? What are you doing? Oh, somebody said it's seven. It's like, is it really seven long? Because the X value is seven. Is it really seven? Or is it seven subtract these two over here? Ah, now we're on to something. That thin slicing idea that John was mentioning earlier, I'm envisioning in my mind going like, okay, what's that next little patio stone that I can place there that's going to give a little bit of challenge, but make everybody feel like it's like, I can do this. And it's like, they want to convince themselves. And then it just gets a little harder and a little harder. And then all of a sudden you might get to a point where you're just like, Okay, now you go and I want you guys to group up and tell me, like, if you had to write it like a mathematician, what would you do? What would you say? What would you write it down in words? What are you actually doing? And then now, can we make that look like math a little bit? Let's try to develop or co-construct a formula. And then all of a sudden you start to go, oh, they're not all going to come up with the perfect formula for distance, but you then get to be the, hey, what about over here when it's in the negatives? It's like, oh, that's going to be problematic. What should we do now? Hmm. Okay. Can I show you what this mathematician, I don't know, distance formula? Was it Pythagorean? I don't even know. But whoever it was. It's built out the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. That's all built, it is. <laughs> it's built off of it. But just it, even the notation, it's just, right? That's all it is. So all of those beautiful things, I think, are great conversations that you can have with those students. And I guess for me, my little mini epiphany is sort of like thinking about your macro decision, which is like, what am I hoping to achieve here? And then what are the micro decisions that I can plan ahead of time, knowing that it's never going to go perfect, right? Some of the stones are going to be further apart than you imagine them to be, but at least it's like, you've got somewhat of a path there so that it's clear enough that you might be able to sort of help some students along from stone to stone. Sometimes when I think about designing that pathway, another way to approach it, now I know that this task was kind of presented to you through the curriculum. However, sometimes when I think about creating that thin slicing pathway that kind of inches students along, I think about sometimes the reverse, the opposite of if I had the answer, what the question look like? 
So for example, I've done this lesson where I said, here's a coordinate grid. Here's a point zero comma one. So it's not zero, zero. That's not the origin. And I said at your groups, at your walls, here's a grid. Can you find me at points as many as you can that are exactly 10 units away from this point? So now you're thinking about, they're already thinking distance and they're just trying to find points. Naturally kids, what they do in this case is use the axis to go like, I'm going to go 10 units straight across. And then I'm going to go 10 units back. That's another point, right? And then some other kid's going to go, I'm going to go 10 units up. And then another kid's going to go 10 units down. And all of a sudden you got four points. And then usually my next question is like, what if I told you there are more than four? And so somebody will start to go like, well, what happens if I go diagonal, right? If I go diagonal from this point, like how do I get 10 units from that way? So there are different strategies. You're going to see the rulers come out, but you're also going to see a student who's doing the same thing as you. Somebody who's going to pick up on the Pythagorean theorem here could be helpful. How do I get 10 units by going up and over, right? And now you're starting to go, okay, well, the beautiful part here is that if you go 10 units up and over, some kids go like eight and six and six and eight, and then that gives me two points over here. But if I go this way, I'm going to go back six and up eight or back eight and up six. That also gives me two 10 unit points away by the Pythagorean theorem. And then I go down. And then if you keep thinking about that, you are building exactly a circle around this point, which is exactly the formula, right? The equation of a circle is also built off the Pythagorean theorem. He was a pretty special person. It's all connected in a sense, but that is a lesson where sometimes we think, can we think in the reverse to help create these scenarios, these challenges? And this is something that I sometimes hold in reserve as well to say, hey, if I'm going to go the route that you went with, the, with the rectangles and going across the field, could I also think about my challenge question or my next step? If I need this group moved really fast, right? This group got there really fast, but this group I'm sluggish and I need to catch them up. So now I have to go over here or I have to bring everybody together. And now maybe that group who went really fast, I pull out the reverse problem and I give it to them and they're working on that now. But then this group still working on the original problem. And I can get them to the Pythagorean theorem slower, or I can get them to a possible solution or strategy a little slower because this group's got something to work on now. And eventually we're all going to bring ourselves together to teach to the learning goal we were intended today, which was your distance formula on the different strategies. But now this group's had a little challenge. They're starting to think about how that distance formula works in relation to what they're working on. Same with the students who still haven't, say, maybe got to the point where the other students got to so quickly. So the big idea tip is, could we think of the reverse when creating some of the problems? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple months, maybe even a couple years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. It's funny you should mention that. I almost feel that you should go from the Pythagorean theorem to the distance formula and then to circles. Because I was last year, I was working with my other teacher, and I was sitting there trying to figure out the equation of a circle. I was like, what? he's like, oh, it's just a distance formula. My head exploded. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> You're like, why didn't anyone ever tell me this? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And just all those connections. There's three things you can connect rectangles, triangles, and circles. So 
it seems like you've got some ideas here. And one thing I'll add to that idea, sometimes it can be helpful by intentionally spreading it out so that when you do do circles, you can almost reviews. It's kind of almost an excuse like, hey, remember those fields? And then you're like, here, I got a few more. They get another chance to kind of go like, ah, oh, come on, sir. We already know how to do this. And you're like, well, just show it to me. And they do. And then your next question. And then your next question. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, look what's happening here. And then all of a sudden you're like, benefit is bringing back or call it interleaving some of the material a little later. And now they're going, oh man, they'll never forget that connection. Whereas I was just like you, I thought the circle, the equation for a circle was completely just looked the way it did because it did. And I had no thought about it as a student. And it took me a really long time, even as an educator to go like, oh, that's interesting. And then tying it together takes more time and effort as well. So I mean, you bring up another kind of pebble for me too. It's just at the beginning of the year, we did right triangles. And then we did transformations. And then we did some statistics. And it was just everything that we did at the beginning of the year was totally forgotten. So one working spiral, you guys talk about it all the time. It's just, I got to try and find out a way to do it. Even if I'm just doing it on my own, I'm going against all the other teachers in my grade level. But I really want to find ways to spiral like you guys talk about. Yeah. One thing, if I would say your best start is taking things like what you just mentioned about Pythagorean, about the distance formula, about circles that might normally come up at different times, you can think of that as I'm already spiraling that, which is great, right? So rather than some people might actually do the opposite and bring them all together at once, maybe there's a benefit to keeping that one apart. And you're like, oh, we're already in good shape there. But then something like I'm going to pick on statistics because it's probably one of the concepts and topics or units of study that we sort of come into, we kind of get it done and then we kind of move on. And that one might be a really good one that you can maybe break up a little bit. And instead of if you normally spend, I'm just making up numbers, but let's say you spent two weeks on statistics, maybe you split into three smaller chunks and you put that still have a progression to it. We don't want it to not make sense, but that one might be a nice one that you take and you go, well, we always seem to forget that statistics even happened this year. Now it's like, hey, let's do it over here. Or you might even pick it as that unit that ends on a Thursday and then you're like, Friday's there and it's just kind of awkward because the weekend's there and people aren't on track. Maybe Friday is a thing from statistics and then we'll continue on to the next unit, right? So trying to, starting small, I think, goes a long way. So instead of taking everything and revamping everything, finding different ways that you can kind of keep a structure that keeps you feeling like you're still on track but still offers some of the benefits that you're trying to gain from that interleaving and that spaced practice could be a really awesome way to begin that journey. Yeah, I think that's great. Like how you're saying that you can kind of like split statistics up throughout the year. No, I think that's great because, yeah, that's something I definitely want to think about for next year. And also not to go all over the place, but I want to talk about maybe doing a portfolio day, which is which I because I, I felt like people were kind of like all over the place. But I think that's something that could kind of 
bring throughout the year, bring everybody together and give everybody a chance to work on things that they need to work on. Oh, I love that. It's definitely a game changer to change the atmosphere in your room when you focus on assessment for growth versus assessment as a, sometimes we call it punishment in a way to make sure that you've been doing your homework. So we're going to give you a test now or a quiz or a pop quiz instead of thinking about where are we on our journey? How can we showcase that learning and can we do it now in two months have i shown growth can i prove that i've shown growth and having a focus on that growth is super important did you take our assessment for growth course yet jeremy or have you explored it yes i have explored i've done the first third of it i love it and that's what i want to do it just makes so much sense it's just that I felt like this year I was on survival mode the whole year, honestly. Totally. New course, right? Feeling a little bit uncertain. Absolutely. That is the reality. We've said that here many times is that we want to do everything all at once, but it's almost impossible to do everything all at once. What can we do now to feel good and move forward? But every month or every semester, we start to implement something new. We don't want to do it all at once. It would be too overwhelming to incorporate so many new things into your classroom because you only have so much time in the day. I think choosing where to focus is going to be the best way to move forward instead of kind of going like, let me just bring everything in. Otherwise, you'll get burnout and kind of abandon those things. So I would think about how to use your assessment practices, because I think that can be a huge game changer. And actually, the way that Kyle and I went through this journey, and this is not to say that if someone's listening, this is the way you should do it. We talked through problem-based lessons first and then moved into kind of mixing things up the way Kyle kind of said, and it kind of forced us to go like, we need to change some of our assessment practices in that way. So that was kind of our journey, but it doesn't mean you can't start with say revamping or changing your assessment practices first and then kind of moving in different directions. Yeah. Before we ask you, Jeremy, for maybe a takeaway from today, and it's great because you're hitting on so many big ideas that I think people are nodding away going like, yep, I want to work on that. I want to work on that. I want to work on that. The message I'm hearing from John, which I think is really important is, yeah, finding a thing that you want to make as your big commitment for yourself. And I think this past year, having never taught that particular course at that particular level, it is really important not to get too, we'll call it spirally too quick, because even you as the teacher need to sort of endure that or experience that to kind of see where some of the connections are that maybe you never recognized in the past. So I think you had an opportunity to do that, which is great. You're already on this problem-based journey. It sounds like your curriculum sets you up nicely. Not that a curriculum, typically a curriculum can't actually be perfect and do it all for you, but it sounds like this one tees you up nicely to go, okay, I've got these other details that I'm going to have to kind of work through a little bit. I would say continuing your focus there. And as you're doing that work, you can have, we'll call them secondary goals for yourself of how can I maybe start with a small portfolio idea. Maybe it's like whatever you consider to be the biggest concept from a unit of study. Maybe there's some time put aside for students to be able to do some of that work, or maybe it's every so often, but don't put too much pressure on you to have it all perfect before you say implement. I would say start small, like John's saying, and you'll see what's working and then you'll see what maybe isn't. So you can kind of go a little and then you might want to pull back a little bit, right? Because you're like, hmm, that didn't really work so hot. 
now I'm going to maybe rethink that. But don't allow yourself to get too overwhelmed by too many things because that usually leads to inaction where we have too many ideas. We say it all the time. Too many priorities means no priorities at all. And we certainly don't want it to be a more stressful situation than teaching already is, right? There's so many moving parts there. So I want to flip it back to you there, Jeremy. You've taken some time out of your day. Last day of school is tomorrow for you as we're recording this. So my question for you is, what's your big takeaway here as you're getting ready to set sail into the summertime? One thing I definitely want to start that, have a day. I mean, I don't know if you guys would suggest maybe like one day a week, maybe like on Wednesday to have students work on unfinished work or things I need to work on. I want to have a day that we do the portfolio day. And I want to, I guess what John was saying about, for example, like that task with the Pythagorean theorem, if some kids are, some groups have already done the Pythagorean theorem, then I can give them the extension. But if students are still working and some groups are still working on, they haven't found out the Pythagorean theorem, then we can give them that three, four, five triangle so that they all have something that they're working on. Because that's a challenge I had. Some kids, students were all over the place but I wasn't ready with extensions and ways to nudge other students forward. I love it. Those are huge takeaways. And I guess if you are thinking about picking, say, a day, you mentioned Wednesday. We picked Tuesday. It just happened to be, I think, honestly, because we started school on a Tuesday and we were thinking like, we need some time before. And then we just kept it from there. But if something came up in the schedule, we bump it like and modify it. So, you know, you get to kind of think of what that looks like and sounds like. I guess it really comes down to balance as well. Do you feel that, say, four days of learning is maybe enough meat and potatoes for your groups to have enough to kind of work on and do and all of those things? Maybe you want to do it every X number of days if you're on a four-day rotation system, or it really depends on those details. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think regardless of how you choose to structure it, you're giving students and you're giving yourself an opportunity to kind of look at assessment and evaluation in the end, this different I guess, perspective on what it's all about and why we're doing it, right? So it's not like I always think of sometimes it's like Fridays, there's always a quiz for some people and this idea of a punishment, whereas we want students to look at that day as a day that I'm going to learn where I'm strong, learn where I'm maybe not so strong, and I'm going to be given some opportunity to improve. It's not a judgment day. It's about figuring out where we're at and growing from there. And I found in general that most students, they become much better versions of themselves in math class and they start to look at things a little bit differently. And can I just say one thing I just thought of? It's almost like having a portfolio day is almost a day to like, just like pause for a sec. I feel like this whole year I just went and now it's over. I didn't really, we didn't ever really like just pause and be like, just put on the brakes for a second and just, okay, just slow things down for a second. Oh, totally. That's one thing I feel about education. It just feels like everything is such a rush. I guess I didn't have the confidence to be like, we're going to do a day where we just stop and just, as I was afraid, oh, what if my evaluator comes in? Hey, you, you got reasons. Like you got reasons, right? So that's great to hear. And also I know that what feels that way. And I think we all feel that way at times in thinking about how my structures, the decisions we make in our classroom are for purposes. And if this is the purpose that you're saying that this is where we're going to go, and this is the purpose of why we're doing it, 
then you go down that pathway. And as long as you have the justification, you're going to be fine. So it sounds like, Jeremy, you got lots to think about over the summer. You got lots to kind of plan for come next year. So I do want to thank you for joining us here on the Making Math Moments podcast. This is your second go at it. So there's not too many who come back and share exactly what's happened. So we're so thankful that you can do that. We want you back again in the future. We want to keep exploring your journey as you strengthen your mathematics classroom. So would you be open to kind of coming back on, let's say next year and kind of filling us in on that year's journey? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome stuff. Thanks so Been much, so Jeremy. great there, Take Jeremy. Care. We appreciate you. Your students appreciate yes. you. And of course, the Math Moment Maker community appreciate you. So have a great one. Enjoy that summer and take some time to pause. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, John, it was so great having an opportunity to catch up with Jeremy after we hit the stop button on that episode or that interview. I couldn't help but let Jeremy know you can hear the passion for education in his voice, his concern for his students, that he is doing the best he possibly can for them. And the reality is, is that he is doing the best he possibly can at this time in this moment. But the beauty is, is that he's also committing to continuing to learn continuing to grow, and of course, continuing to therefore help many, many students. Yeah. And you can hear from this conversation that he was focused primarily on strengthening the branches of his tree. These are the teacher moves. He's thinking about how to think about his lessons before, how to think about the moves that he needs to make during the lesson and thinking about the moves that he needs to make after the lesson, but now needs to make in the lesson. Where does this progression stretch? If you're working on a particular topic, he was kind of diving into the distance formula, but what do we need to do after the distance formula? What needs to happen before the distance formula? How are students going to progress along that trajectory? And when I notice where they are in the trajectory, do I have the teacher moves to kind of move them along? And do I have the fluency and the flexibility as a teacher to let this group move along before this group so that I can bring them and consolidate all together for that learning goal of the day? So a lot of moving parts when we release that rigidness of teaching the I do, we do, you do model and moving to the problem-based model and moving to using, say, the five practices to kind of guide that lesson structure. So hat tip to him for kind of doing that in a course that he was brand new to him. And also that continued growth, like you said, Kyle, that continued growth he's making to strengthening those branches of his tree. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I see. And I want to really highlight here when you're talking about that professional growth and thinking about the limbs of the tree, we talk about the professional growth or his professional learning plan. Many people who are coming on the podcast and chatting with us, they have very strong limbs of their tree because they're constantly seeking ways to develop, to try to improve. And you can hear that coming out today through his message. And the other piece that I'm really liking too, that maybe is more of like a secondary part of his tree is the soil, sun, water of the tree, which is the mindsets, the beliefs, the culture of his classroom. I'm feeling like even just his shift from trying to maybe slow down, he had mentioned, he felt like it was just go, go, go. And he wants to slow down in that portfolio day might offer that opportunity for them to build that culture, to maybe shift beliefs and mindsets in their classrooms. And of course, continue to grow the other parts 
of the math classroom tree. So awesome stuff there. He had mentioned the assessment for growth course, which is something inside of our academy. So if you're listening to this and you're going, how do I get going? The first module of that course is actually wide open. So if you head over to makemathmoments.com forward slash AFG, it's representing assessment for growth, makemathmoments.com forward slash AFG, you can dive into that first module. And if you're liking it and you want to dig in even deeper like Jeremy has, then you can, of course, go ahead and become an Academy member. And we do have a 30-day free subscription that you can dig into. You can cancel any time. So, hey, maybe you're on summer vacation listening to this and you want to dig into some PD, go ahead and get yourself taken care of. So head over to makemathmoments.com forward slash AFG and you can check out that course or any of the other courses inside the Academy. And if you just want to click, you can head on over to the show notes page to makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 244. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 244. On that page, you'll find the link to that course, plus all the other links we referenced here, like the squares to triangle lesson that we talked about and any other links that we have. Plus, you can get the complete transcript from this episode over on that spot as well. Awesome stuff, my friends. Hey, listen, if you've enjoyed this show, go ahead, hit the subscribe button, rate and review, and we appreciate you. Until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a high five for you. <laughs> If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's, it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.